Good morning, Colorado. You're listening to the Daily Sun Up with the Colorado Sun. It's Friday, November 24th. Today, this Friday, it's time to talk music again with Sun writer Kevin Simpson and G. Brown, director of the Colorado Music Experience. Before we begin, we'd like to thank our sponsor, the Colorado Department of Healthcare Policy and Financing. HCPF is raising awareness of the invaluable roles of direct care workers and the direct care workforce in Colorado. Direct care workers play a crucial role in enhancing the lives of individuals requiring assistance due to disability, age, or illness. Learn more about the impact of these workers and how to become one by visiting hcpf.colorado.gov slash direct-care-spotlight. Now, let's go back in time with some Colorado history. On this date, in 1922, seven western states signed the Colorado River Compact in Santa Fe, New Mexico. This marked a significant shift from difficult legal battles to cooperative negotiation over water resources. Delphus Carpenter, a key figure in this initiative, advocated for state-level agreements to avoid federal control and complex legal disputes over water rights. The compact, facilitated by Carpenter and others, including Secretary of Commerce Herbert Hoover, established a framework for dividing the Colorado River's water between upper and lower basins, allocating 7.5 million acre-feet to each and ensuring continued flow to Mexico. This historic agreement, despite leading to further legal challenges, set a precedent for regional cooperation and offered a hopeful model for managing scarce water resources in the West. Before we continue, choosing your health insurance plan can be difficult and confusing. The Colorado Sun is hosting a free virtual discussion on December 6th to help you learn to choose the best option. RSVP for free and submit your questions for the panelists by visiting coloradosun.com events. Next, our feature story. Well, happy Friday, Colorado, and welcome once again to our good friend, G. Brown, who's busy as ever with the Colorado Music Experience website. That's at colomusic.org. And seriously, folks, you'll check this out. It's just a, a great repository for so much of Colorado's musical history. And we're also going to talk today about a, a great new development there. That'll take our listeners back to the early days of FM radio. How's it going, G? Well, Kev, as usual, if I don't turn on the TV or look out the window, I'm doing great. How about you? <laughs> uh, I hear you. I hear you. So hopefully we can take uh, take our listeners away from the uh, the worries of the everyday world here for a few minutes at least. There you go. So I, I thought we'd start off with something fun for our listeners to kind of test their musical knowledge. Um as we've mentioned before on this podcast, you've got some quizzes on uh, colomusic.org. Uh, you call it the the on-record music challenge uh, because it corresponds to the various years of the books that, that you've released, and we're going to talk more about that later. But how about we take one of the questions from 1981, because that's a year we're going to talk about here in a bit, 
and it's multiple choice, so listeners can at least take a, a stab at it, and then we'll give the correct answer at the end of our segment. So what, what have you got from 1981? All right, Kev. Uh, if I could just interject, uh, people might find it a little quicker at onrecordbooks.com. Just uh, that's a brand spanking new website. Oh, fantastic. Uh, uh, dedicated to the books, and the quizzes are really uh, accessible there as well. So, anyway, our question today 20 years removed from his number one hit, Runaway, Del Shannon recorded a comeback album and a top 40 hit, Sea of Love, that was produced by what rising rock star? Your choices are Johnny Rotten, Tom Petty, Del Taco, and Niels Lofgren. Again, 20 years removed from his number one hit runaway, Del Shannon recorded a comeback album and top 40 hit Sea of Love produced by what rising rock star? That's a good one. That's a really good one. So uh, we'll be back with the answer shortly. But first, let's let's talk radio for a few minutes. Uh, those who aren't streaming all their music probably still tune in to the FM stations these days. But when you and I were in our formative years, back in the, the late 60s, early 70s, FM radio was something new and exciting and more than a little subversive, I guess. The Colorado Music Experience has managed to add some fantastic musical content to the site. It's derived directly from that era when FM radio was finding its audience. But before we get into that, G, remind the listeners about KFML and what it brought to the Denver Airwaves. Yeah, it's a, a legendary station. Uh, I'd like to provide a little context about radio in general. Um before uh, Freeform Underground Radio came about in the late 60s, it was all top 40 radio on the AM side of the dial. And that's when you had the so-called boss jocks, right? These silver-tongued guys who would uh, spin the records and um, rapid fire playing the same rotation of songs. And it informed that generation. I mean, that's what came out of every transistor radio, car radio shop here in Denver. It was KIMN. Uh, they were a remarkable success. But in the late 60s, the counterculture comes along. You get some uh, rebellious types uh, that want to upset the apple cart a bit. And the way to do it on radio was to go on the FM side of the dial. Now it's ubiquitous. But back then, that was the the stepsister of, of radio frequencies had better fidelity. Uh, and there were a lot of reasons for it to expand. The guys at KFML, um, were able to, I mean, they were not only able, they were encouraged to select their, their own music and records to play. So it went, uh, not just a top 40 playlist. They would do everything from rock to classical and everything in between. Uh, I remember a segue going from, Frank Zappa to Beethoven to uh, um, <laughs> some top 40 thing. I mean, but they were the best of the jocks were good at it. They mastered the segue of transitioning from one piece of music into another based either on tempo or key or theme, whatever. Um, it was a very creative one that was in the right hands. Um, but there was a certain vibe of, uh, uh, 
sticking it to the man, I guess, <laughs> in terms of it being free form and underground. So uh, it was really a remarkable time and I had a great listening experience for kids that were, you know, this was the counterculture being brought to them to a degree, right? Right. Well, and sort of on that subversive note, uh, there was one thing that, that you talked about in your monthly newsletter that, that really caught my attention because it uh, it sort of uh, fused or crossed media boundaries. Uh, it was undoubtedly hilarious and, of course, eventually led to a lawsuit because it's everything good does, <laughs> I guess. But, uh, uh, but tell us about the, the KFML show that they called High Street. High Street uh, was centered around a movie, if memory serves, uh, Channel 2, back then local independent station. Uh, they'd air an old movie from the 40s or 50s, and KFML listeners were instructed to turn on the movie on their television, turn off the sound, and tune in KFML. And then the, the staff, it was kind of an improv troupe, um, not called that at the time, but uh, some of the jocks and uh, a guy who <laughs> was known around town as Betty Boulder, and then I think he went on to be Sam Diego, but uh, <laughs> one of the funniest guys ever. And uh, anyway, uh, the guys all gathered in the studio and made up their own dialogue to the movie. I mean, a whole new plot line having nothing to do with uh, the movie being shown and just riffing and being spontaneous. And uh, it was probably funnier if you were stoned, um, <laughs> to be, uh, be candid. But um, it was really... Uh, really funny stuff. Um, I'm sure that, uh, if we had a lot of tapes of that, uh, a lot of it was self-indulgent, but the high points were just, uh, hysterically funny. But do you have any idea what the inspiration was behind the concept? Cause I remember, you know, roughly that time frame, a very early Woody Allen movie called what's up tiger Lily from, uh, 1966. I think that overdubbed a Japanese spy movie just for laughs. And then, of course, uh, much later in the late 80s, you had Mystery Science Theater 3000, which uh, used a variation of, on spoofing bad movies for comic effect. Do you know where uh, where High Street came from or what the inspiration Not as far as their direct inspiration. I mean, I'd put them in the middle of those two examples you cite. Uh, maybe the Woody Allen film had an impact, but uh, I don't recall anything similar going on across the country. There were other legendary freeform underground stations like KSAN in San Francisco, um, some others scattered across the map. Uh, but for those guys to do what they did, I, uh, the one I remember is um, they showed some movie from the 40s that was about a child with a club foot. And they started the whole plot line about how this kid wanted to be a tap dancer and arguing with his parents. And it was so wrong, you're right, but so thick. And uh, it, it just made an impression. Oh, God. Well, let's get to the, the music news, uh, which is really the reason we kind of took this detour through the days of KFML. What has the Colorado music experience added to its archives? Well, we wanted to uh, honor the KFML legacy, but do it through the prism of music. We're not the, the Colorado radio experience. Um, as an aside, there is a wonderful website called uh, 
radicalradio.media, which has some archives of uh, old air checks and broadcasts from freeform underground stations uh, all across the country, but uh, very specifically KFML. So that bears investigation. Uh, but for us, uh, we focused on the fact that KFML uh, signed a contract with Listen Up, which was the local pro audio video shop, but they were also the sound company for Ebbets Field, a little club that was Denver's premier concert venue of the early 70s. And they would either simulcast concerts or record them for rebroadcast. Uh, back then, bands would come to Ebbets and play multiple nights. Uh, KFML would document the first sets, and then uh, again, uh, the idea was to promote the uh, the next uh, nights or shows in in the stand, and an amazing trove of recordings that we were able to archive. Uh, everything from uh, young Billy Joel doing the Entertainer to uh, my favorite. Um, can we go ahead and play that one, Kev? Well, yeah, absolutely. We're 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 going to get to that for sure. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I was jumping ahead there. Uh, so anyway, we have some amazing uh, archives. We have put up 13 tracks uh, that were broadcast or simulcast from uh, from Ebbets Field on KFML. And so, you know, listening to some of these songs, I've you know gone on there and kind of went down the rabbit hole listening to all of these. What really captures the atmosphere of that era uh, is the lead-ins to the songs, the, the little commercial blurbs uh, on the radio that, in their own way, kind of gave FM its character. Yeah, everything from the station IDs to the uh, advertisements. I mean, imagine some, uh, shall we say, mellow guy uh, doing the ad for McDonald's, right? Just telling you that. Go get your free Coke at uh, uh, at the local McDonald's. It uh, did not sound very corporate or the result of some Madison Avenue campaign. It was uh, pretty darn pretty darn down hull. Well, that all adds to the atmosphere of these recordings. And as you said, there's music from lots of genres among the 13 posted so far. And, and uh, I think you've got one particular favorite with kind of a, a cool backstory to it. Yeah, it's uh, really got historical context. Muddy Waters, the blues legend, performed at Ebbets Field, and he was 60 by the time he got there, and, uh, you know, an, an old 60, if you will. Uh, his band was red hot, uh, so Muddy was pretty obviously tired during the performance, but as it turned out, B.B. King was playing a few blocks away at the Auditorium Theater, downtown Denver, and after his set, he came to Ebbets and did a, a blues summit with uh, Muddy and his band, um, which I had not heard of uh, those two playing together in any other configuration. So uh, to be able to play this for folks is um, really an honor and a, and a privilege. All right. Well, here we go. We're going to play some Muddy Waters and V.V. King.
Well, gee, that, that's an awesome clip. Uh, I wonder if we could do another one. I, you mentioned uh, The Entertainer by Billy Joel. I, I love early Billy Joel, and, and this one uh, certainly does not disappoint. Can we go ahead and play that as well? Yeah, this is um, the, the little New Yorker coming and uh, rocking the airwaves of KFML on the stage at Ebbets Field. I am the entertainer, and I know just where I stand. Today I am your champion I may have won your hearts But I know the game You forget my name And I won't be here in another year If I don't stay on the charts Whoa. I am the entertainer And I've had to pay my price Wow, that was, that was great. We spoke earlier, G, about uh, 1981, which uh, not only happens to be one of the years you've chronicled in your on-record series of books, but also just an unbelievably rich year in music, as I found as I paged through the the book itself, uh, from bonafide rock superstars uh, to a, a country music venture by, and I am not making this up, the Chipmunks. Chipmunk. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Has anyone heard uh, Christmas Don't Be Late yet this season? I don't know. <laughs> a little early for me. <laughs> well, so uh, take us inside how you put a book like this together because it's just, yeah, they're all terrific volumes. And, um, you know, especially for folks who may not know about your personal archive that, of information that dates back decades, uh, you know, the book has got great photos and, of course, your reporting on why these artists were front and center during that particular year. What goes into this? Well, um, the book started with my archive of photography. Uh, I kept uh, pretty meticulous files of all of the uh, press photos that were issued uh, throughout the, the decades, starting uh, all the way back in the 70s and up until uh Things went digital, right? When when downloads replaced hard goods and uh, press photos went the way of uh, MP3s, all of a sudden. Uh, but it's a pretty remarkable collection. I uh, I wasn't sure why I was doing it at the time, but um, I'm sure glad I did. And I got to couple that with uh, my archive of interviews that I conducted over the years. Um, I remember all the fun I had, Kevin, but I. Uh, did work pretty hard. As it turns out, I did over 3,200 interviews over the, uh, oh my gosh. The, the course of those times, just covering it like a beat. I was a newspaper man. And, um, so yeah, three interviews a week for 26 years, you know, it, uh, it does add up. It does. So these were all the, the resources and going year by year, uh, we are ostensibly doing 21 volumes covering 1978 to 1998, uh, we've got the first six out, of which 1981 is one. And I, uh, the one trepidation I had in the back of my head, Kevin, was that some years might not have the same gravitas, right, as mm -hmm. uh, certain other years. Um, 
and I don't think it's salient once I dove into this, that uh, fear has been alleviated. Um, any given year is really important to any given listener, right? Absolutely. Uh, really, <laughs> I'm not being coy here, but uh, I'm really tired of my peers still arguing about which Beatles album was the best. You know, I mean, uh, there's, uh, believe it or not, there's more people that think Metallica was more important than the Beatles. You know, that's not. That's not a judgment. That's just numbers, right? So uh, to be doing this year by year and uh, servicing readers uh, with some great memories through the artists speaking about this uh, on their own terms, a given recording in a given year, uh, I'm fiercely proud. These are not my memoirs. You know, these are not essays on what it all meant. It's it's reported. It's what we do, Kevin, right? Absolutely uh, it is, Yeah. And uh, I, I just, uh, it really resonates with people. So uh, I couldn't be more thrilled about the response to these things. And I, I hope people check them out. Well, you know, I'm always interested in how stuff gets written. Um, being partial to long form writing myself, I, I was reading the, the 1981 volume the other night, and I got to wondering if it's a, a challenge for you to limit yourself to these you know, very digestible uh, nuggets of information. I mean, they're, they're, you know, each page is sort of complete in itself, but um, it's also, you know, very uh, compact. Uh, and I imagine, surely, you're, you're leaving lots of additional reporting on the cutting room floor, so to speak. So how do, how do you approach the, the writing of these? Well, it's, uh, um, it's just a discipline, I guess, editing. Uh, I get to work with John Rizzi. Uh, folks in town might know John as the editor of uh, the previous editor of Colorado Avid Golfer magazine, a fine publication. He's now the director of the Colorado Golf Hall of Fame, uh, but he's also a music head. And um, I just got to give him his props here for uh, him to work with me to uh, edit and refine this stuff, putting it. You know, uh, there's not a lot of stuff left on the cutting room floor, Kevin, when you space it out over uh, 21 books. Right? <laughs> I mean, just because yeah, there might be long form things uh, that I did in a given year. But if the person talked about something in that interview about uh, an event or album in another year, then we parse that out. Right. And uh, spread the wealth. And I'm writing number 18 right now, so we've only got a couple left, and it's worked so far. There's <laughs> a finite amount of material, but it's all uh, unique to each volume. We're not repeating ourselves. So, uh, yeah, I'm, um, it's a pretty cool project, as it turns out. Yeah, well, I think you, you got the system down for sure. They're, they're all such high quality. And so, f folks, check out the On Record series. Uh, it looks at the evolution of popular popular music from 1978 to 1998 uh six volumes currently available on your website several more in the pipeline as you mentioned and we're officially on the countdown to christmas so it's not too soon to be thinking about something nice for the music lover on your gift list so go to uh, colomusic.org and look for the link or tell us the the direct link yeah a brand spanking new website dedicated to the books exclusively on recordbooks.com. Easy enough. Easy enough. Okay. Well, before we go any further, 
let's revisit that quiz question we did at the top of the show. And uh, I'll repeat it here. 20 years removed from his number one hit, Runaway, Del Shannon recorded a comeback album and top 40 hit, Sea of Love, produced by what rising rock star? Choices were Johnny Rotten, Tom Petty, Del Taco, or Nils Lofgren. And I got to say, I, I guessed on this one and guessed Nils Lofgren. And then then I kicked myself. But who was it, G? Well, of course, it was Del Taco. Before uh, <laughs> he founded his restaurant chain. Uh, no, it was Tom Petty. And uh, I know why you were kicking yourself, Kevin, because there, uh, there were clues in some other music of the time. Uh, but Tom had Del Shannon on a pedestal, one of his uh, uh, earliest influences and mu musical idols. Uh, so uh, it was a big thing for him to take Del under his wing. Del, uh, in those 20 years since his stardom, had fallen on some hard times, you know, personally and professionally. So uh, it was a big deal to have uh, Tom's stewardship to make this record. Yeah, as soon as I saw the answer, I immediately thought of the Tom Petty song, Running Down a Dream. That's it. Yeah, which has the line, me and Dell were singing Little Runaway. So uh, yeah, definitely a, a giveaway, uh, his uh, relationship with Dell Shannon. Oh, live and learn. So can we hear a clip of Dell singing Sea of Love? I hope so. <laughs> You're okay. Here we you go. Got you got your finger on the button, Kev. Go. Here we go. I'm going to press this right now. <laughs> All right. Well, to, to wrap up and send us into the weekend, G, let's talk a little about some of the best and worst songs that have been covered by other performers. Uh, the best tend to be arguably better than the originals, and the worst, of course, well, you know, not better at all. But naturally, there's a list of this stuff, right? Well, uh, the aforementioned John Rizzi, my uh, editor and Hal and uh, Confidant shared the AV Club's rankings of best and worst songs. And, uh, you know, uh, clickbait as these <laughs> things go, but it certainly just triggered my desire, a longstanding desire to list who I thought were the best uh, covers of all time. And so, yeah, on our uh, in our newsletter this month, we got... Uh, we got to my 25, and uh, I dare say it's uh, superior in every way, <laughs> the AV clubs. <laughs> well, sort of piggybacking on that, I I'm wondering, can you think of some songs that maybe most folks don't even realize who the original artist was because the cover was so good? Oh, gosh. Uh, um, I, I would put it more in the category of maybe people didn't know it was a cover. Uh, the, the best ones where 
uh, I mean, for, for the most part, um, I hate covers <laughs> and, and live albums and stuff. I'm very Catholic to the, you know, the original version. That's, that's the one you should do. I would, uh, um, this is kind of a sidebar, but, uh, do ya, the big hit by electric light orchestra was originally done by Jeff Lynn's band previous to ELO, which is called the move, uh, kind of an underground sensation here in America. The, the far superior version, if you like three guys just slamming on their instruments and making a bunch of noise, uh, and, you know, five years later, Lynn has founded electric light orchestra and does a polished, you know, and, and arguably superior version. If your ears, we all listen to music different ways. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, but it's the same song. And so, you know, if it just gets into the, the dynamic, you know, if you're in on the ground floor, nothing will ever beat the original, right? Well, yeah, I guess, you know, for me, uh, it was uh, a song called Lot of Love, which I never knew was a Neil Young song. I'm a little embarrassed to admit that because I first heard it on the radio sung by Nicolette Larson. And it yep. was a, a really nice version. And uh, it actually charted in the top 10 on multiple rankings but, uh, you know, later on, uh, I found the Neil Young version, I think, on the Live Rust album, which uh, I ultimately liked better. But now, also, are you good? Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just uh, no, no accounting for taste. But, you know, I'm also, also partial to Bonnie Raitt singing John Prine's Angel of Montgomery, uh, though. In fairness, I have to say my favorite version of that song is the duet she does with John that they performed live. It was just fantastic. But uh, so many good ones. But to to end the session here, G, let's uh, tell us one of your favorites and maybe we'll see if we can play it. Well, how about if I betray everything I just said about uh, hating covers and hating uh, live versions? And let's play a a cover of a Rolling Stones song <laughs> Unlive un by Johnny Winter and uh, that band led by Johnny uh, had Rick Derringer on uh, the second guitar and a rhythm section from hell and I don't know why this recording just resonates just imagining being in this little club where they were tearing the roof off uh, especially that last uh, chord volley and uh, Johnny going ape crazy on his guitar uh, this is Johnny Winter and their version of Jumpin' Jack Flash. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, G. And let's do this again next month. You got a date, Kevin. Read more at coloradosun.com. Finally, here are a few stories that you should know about today. A half dozen communities in southern Colorado will split nearly $5 million in EPA grants for cleanup and redevelopment projects aimed at making their communities more enticing to visitors. 
Trinidad, Buena Vista, and Pueblo each received roughly $1 million, while the town of San Luis and San Miguel County got a half million. Silverton received $800,000. Projects range from removing asbestos and other hazardous materials from the Keating Junior High School in Pueblo to the cleanup of harmful contaminants on Trinidad's Holy Trinity property, which will be turned into housing and hotel. Silverton will address mining-related contamination, and Buena Vista will restore the falling-down McGinnis Gymnasium. A Netherland adventurer has set off to become the first person to row a boat from Hawaii to Australia without help. Tez Steinberg is calling his quest the United World Challenge Expedition 2, and the goal is to help raise awareness and funding for ridding the oceans of plastic. The 5,000-mile non-resupplied crossing, the first by a solo rower, is expected to take as long as six months, depending on the weather. That's about two million oar strokes. Steinberg will be in a supercraft equipped with sleeping quarters and other amenities. In 2020, he rode a 23-foot boat from California to Hawaii. The Colorado legislature has approved $30 million in rental assistance to keep more Coloradans in their homes as eviction filings in parts of the state hit record highs. Colorado has recorded roughly 35,000 eviction filings so far this year, up 9% from nearly 32 filings in the same period in 2022. Recent data from Denver County Court shows the city has logged a record 11,000 evictions, surpassing a high mark hit at the height of the Great Recession. The National Institutes of Health says its research shows that for every eviction, there are two other households that self-evict before they're formally removed. For more information on all of these stories, visit our website, coloradosun.com. And don't forget to tune in again next time. Before we go, we encourage you to check out a new podcast from our friends at KUNC called The Colorado Dream. Here's a sneak peek. The new season of The Colorado Dream explores the Black immigrant experience in Aurora. It's told through the eyes of one African woman. I would sit on the beach and just daydream about coming to America. And the city of Aurora that's working to become an inclusive home for all. In the last 20 years, uh, we have a new face of the city. I'm Stephanie Daniel. Join me for the Colorado Dream Newcomers Welcome. You can find the series at KUNC.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, a quick message from our editor. I'm Larry Rickman, editor and co-founder of The Colorado Sun. The Sun is a public benefit corporation, and we rely on the support of listeners and readers like you to produce the nonpartisan, in-depth news that Colorado needs and deserves. Please consider becoming a Sun member for just $5 a month. Learn more at coloradosun.com. Thanks.